Yeah, they come like, yeah, like, they go, and it's, yeah, like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I don't know, I'm making just noises. Z, Hello and welcome to Maiden A to Z. My name is Eric, and uh, Jonathan is Jonathan being in a bit, but uh, with me instead is uh, you know him from the Judas Priestcast and also uh, from this program. I'm back. What's up, peoples? This is George, and you've got another episode coming. There you go. What? Where's <laughs> Jonathan? We don't know. Supposedly he's on his way, but today it's going to be the George and Eric show for a little bit. Indeed. But it's nice to be back and talk about a different band than I normally get to. Last time you were on would have been, I'm trying to think which one that would have been. Isle of Avalon and Journeyman. There you go. We found all this merit and these cool parts in those songs as we were discussing them together and analyzing them. And it's like, sometimes when you pick apart a song like this, you can really see the good pieces in it. Or if the song doesn't hold up, then you'll kind of just rip it to shreds. And I'm curious to see which way today's songs are going to go. It's an interesting pairing that you wouldn't necessarily put them together. And that's just sort of fun how we get these weird combinations uh, that you would never consider you know, putting together. I think the first one is uh, Only the Good Die Young, correct? I think that's got to be the one that comes up first. Yeah, man. I know Johnny was so excited to talk about this one because it's one of his favorites. Yeah. It feels all a little teeny bit wrong. <laughs> talk about it without him but okay let's start i to say in it when i initially heard seven sun the first time it was one of the ones that uh, stood out to me quite a bit but let's uh well what are your first memories of this song let's put let's start a few i'm gonna date myself here big time because i first heard the song on internet radio mm. and kids this is before spotify this is even before youtube and you would sign into whatever uh, web browser site and you could play just what you could play a radio station of metal yeah. and it would come up with tracks from Slayer and Motorhead and Sabbath and all the others. And I was able to hear my first few maiden tunes from there, like Ace is High, The Trooper, Fear of the Dark. I probably heard for the first time listening to internet radio and sometimes you'd get a maiden track that wasn't one of the more popular ones and i heard only the good die young from that and at the time i had no way of knowing that this wasn't a popular track i figured oh people probably love this one too but it ended up being not that well known yeah. once i got out and started talking to people about maiden and we're here and we're thinking we have to treat every song equally mm. because that's the format we have. That's no. the alphabet. And now we can kind of give this song its due. It's in, I've, I've often thought that a lot of times the only difference between, uh, I mean, certain certain songs is one applied to, but like the only difference between say this song and say a, a song that became massively big, like say the trooper or like one of those, is just the fact that this is what they, they were, they were releasing singles and this wasn't. 
because this is such a I feel like a strong catchy track. You could easily hear this on you know you know rock radio you know instead of say the Trooper or whatnot. You know you know it just said the fact this didn't get this this wasn't a single. I think that didn't become as as big and sort of ended up sort of a semi deep cut uh, or yeah somewhat of a deep cut I'd say. So the album has eight tracks. Six of them have been played live. Mm. This is one of the only two where they didn't. Uh, when you're talking about the other one, the prophecy, yeah. I get it. That's probably the one track that stands out as the least good. But I think only the good die young is on that super high level of the other songs on Seventh Son. There's no reason why this would not work really good live. It would for sure. Maybe not a single because it's very heavy and there's actually some pretty brutal lyrics. But hey, I guess we'll get there. Yeah, I mean, I think that if if, they, if you can get away with the last week we talked about, you know, we did Number of the Beast, and that was um, if you can get away doing that on, especially in, in, in the U.S. on radio. I figure that you should be able to get away with this stuff too. I imagine. Uh, but when, when we get to the lyrics here, maybe I'll see some stuff I didn't think about before. But uh, it, it seems that just that. Um, if there is a bridge too far, it should already. But you should have already crossed that. Having a song where you're just yelling six six six, I think, especially in the states. But uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you're not wrong. The states is very well known for being the home of satanic panic. Yeah, as you talked about in your last episode. Yeah, yeah we we got a little bit. Of, I mean, I, I mean, I, I gather it was a little bit of that here uh, as well. I uh, I was way too young, or I I wasn't even. Uh, I'd had, I hadn't moved here yet when it was at its sort of peak, but there was a, yeah, there was a infamously when Wasp were sort of first coming here, that 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 be that was a big deal. There's a famous clip on uh, from a Swedish uh, um, uh, some, some sort of news program or some sort of uh, program where there's a guy who's uh, very very upset about you know the wasp because apparently you know as, as, as you know apparently it stands for as the guy said we are satan's people hårdrock ja det är den typ av rock som vi har läst rätt mycket om i tidningarna bland annat det amerikanska bandet wasp we are satan's people vi är satans folk världens äckligaste rockgrupp det kallar många den amerikanska hårdrockgruppen wasp wasp som besökte Sverige i veckan Wasp. Eh, wasp. De hetsar upp publiken med ett våldsamt uppträdande. Vad tycker du om den här typen av hårdrock? Det är det hemskt. Jag tycker den är fruktansvärd. Jag tycker det är rent röstiga saker. Wasp. We are Satan's people. We are Satan's folk. Just like Kiss, Knights in Satan's Service. Because yeah. some random person made up some acronym somewhere. Or Slayer, Satan laughs as you eternally rot. That was actually oh, wow. in one of their CD booklets, so that one's like semi-canon. Yeah, and that, I mean that. Yeah, and also if you listen to to Slayer, and you like, you hear that title, that if you, you hear that name, you're like, yeah, that kind of tracks. But Kiss is the most un, unintimidating stuff. You, <laughs> it's not like it's, it's not. It's so true. It's 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 not particularly evil. It doesn't it doesn't. You would never guess if you if you hadn't. If you play a kiss for someone who hasn't seen them, they're not going to guess that's what they look like. That's fairly true, yeah. The, the, you're not going to think that the Dr. Love guy is, you know, fucking spitting blood and shooting fire and stuff, probably. But, um, Let's play some of the song and dive right in.
has the everything you kind of want in a in a good old Iron Maiden intro. There's a, there's a bit of a there's a gallop and there's the guitar harmonies and it's you feel you feel at home right away. I would say that's accurate. You've got the gallops, you've got the harmonies right off the bat. The song doesn't waste time. Uh, let's see, how long is this? Four forty-two Four minutes, forty-two seconds. Yeah. It's a nice tight number. It's as long as Number of the Beast, relatively. There's actually some pretty brutal lyrics, but hey, I guess we'll get there. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think I get. Yeah, okay, so yeah, that was a bit harsher than I remembered. Yeah, I, I remember the first time I actually sat down and listened to the song with the lyrics in front of me, and I heard that and said, "Okay, that's a brutal fucking line." Holy shit! Jesus, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's uh, that, that's the opening thing. That's a yeah. All right, well, for, yeah, that might that might I can see people perhaps taking umbers with that. Um. <laughs> you, you only need that one line, by the way, to tell who wrote the lyrics. And it's not Steve Harris. No. It's Bruce Dickinson, because that is some good metaphor. Yeah. And you can tell when Dickinson wrote the lyrics instead of Steve, yeah. because they're good. I think I think that yeah, Steve yeah. cannot write like poetry like that. I'm sorry, man. I think that sometimes he has he has sort of. Uh, I think he he definitely has written very very in my opinion very you know. Uh, some really cool and very sort of sort of poetic sounding lyrics, but generally speaking, um, yeah, you can tell this is this is not him. Uh, put it that way, yeah, definitely more metaphorical yes. and it, better flow. Yeah. But also, like that is, uh, I I don't know. Would Steve Harris write a line that brutal as well? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I think that perhaps, but I mean, I think a lot, a lot of times. Like certain, like he he is he's far more literal than than, than Bruce, I think, in his writing. Uh, right. As you said, right. But, so, but yeah, I think that that is a, that is a very, uh, you know, sinister sounding uh, line. Uh, right. The demon in your mind will rape you in your bed at night. So the metaphor is there, like no. your extreme amounts of guilt or your extreme amounts of anxiety or fear whatever yeah. is bothering this character it's really just ruining them yeah because yeah. It, it, it's not it's not some sort of petty like staying up an hour hmm. late in your bed thinking no. about work tomorrow this is like no something is destroying you from the inside like, yeah the strong language here makes that very clear now the question before, so we're, as we're sort of going through this here, I wonder. There's, I think that uh, I the idea initially was this is supposed to be a concept album, uh, and uh, I think there's some bits that probably sort of fit into that. Some bits do not. Do you reckon this is one of the bits that sort of do fit in, or one of the bits that is not has nothing to do with anything? Because I think it kind of maybe does. There's mention of uh, of prophets, and there seems to be a sort of a uh, you know there's demons and whatnot. That sort of harkens back to Moonchild. I feel this is a concept album. And the pieces don't quite tie together no. as neatly as you would want them to on a concept album. I think that if every song was written by the same exact songwriting team, mm -hmm. then they could have cleared that up. Yeah. Or at the very least, if every song had the lyrics written by the same person, mm -hmm. then they could have done a better job tying them together. 
but that's not how Maiden works, and no. that's not how they wrote this album. So instead, they, these songs have loose ties to each other, and you have to sort of knot them up in your head, or at least try to yeah. make sense of it. I mean, I think that I think it also since since we don't necessarily know um, if if there was an original story that they sort of thought out, like this is what this whole album is going to be about, and you know, I mean, we, we know sort of very loosely about. Um, about uh, that, I guess, but you know, I think that we don't. We don't have the whole story. It's hard to tell which bits, I guess, necessarily are the ones that uh, you know uh, are meant for the, the main plot. But uh, like I said, it's it's a very loose. It's a concept in a very, very, very loose sense. Um, some people c- claim that the next album, where next song we're talking about, that amount of life and death is a. Supposed to be concept double as, as well. I definitely don't see that really, uh, or not in the sense. Or someone the, the, the claim was that it, that oh, it's a, it's the, it's just about you know religion and you know and and, and war and like yeah, that, that's kind of they write a lot about that. So I don't know that. <laughs> I have my thoughts on that subject, and I came prepared to talk about it. All right, well, but we well, are getting ahead of ourselves. Oh, you a indeed, bit. indeed, we are. Yes. All right. So, um, I think we need to hear more of the song. Yeah, actually, let's do that. Yeah. What I very much like there, the chords behind the vocals, sort of subtle and it sort of it gives a very ominous kind of vibe. I feel. Feel. I agree with you. Like when you combine the lyrics and the sound of the music together, then it really combines to create a really sinister vibe. All overall, there's a line coming up in the second verse that I love. Uh-huh. Like the line that starts it out. So, in, so Bruce wrote this. Did he write this with? Um, who did he write this with? The Bruce Steve song. Oh, and it's Steve. All right, there we go. Oh, there we go. And usually, when that happens, it's Bruce doing the lyrics and Steve doing the music. Is that right? Usually, I think that's the case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and probably also Bruce figuring out the the vocal. And oh, I see a familiar face. And I will stand behind Jon Snow. The king in the north. <laughs> Out of the shadows. Yes, indeed. Welcome. What's up? Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. Joined us just in time for a nice little bit of Steve Harris bashing. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> you go ahead and do yeah. that, and I'll 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 get acquainted with uh, with the rhythm listening to you. Very good. So I feel that like uh, when when Steve does uh, vocal parts, a lot of times they feel a bit rushed, or like they're just trying to fit in as much as possible, uh, and it sometimes becomes a bit like. Uh, I mean, they're probably going to be, I mean, they, they must be almost impossible to sing. There's like one guy on the planet can do it in this Bruce. Uh, whereas when he writes parts, he tends to give them, I think, proper space to breathe a little bit. Uh, and he can, uh, and sometimes I think that, I mean, sometimes there is something cool with a sort of almost staccato kind of the way Steve does stuff, like we're just like a like machine gun going off. That works sometimes. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work as well. But in this kind of track, we have the, uh, where the, He's given the, the each, all the all the words and phrases. So there's sort of the proper space. I think that it makes it. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, you you can you can tell who wrote that. I put it that way. Yeah. Well, Steve isn't the one who has to sing it. He doesn't have to worry about no. it when he's writing it. 
he's lucky. He's a lucky guy. Found the person that can possibly do that kind of thing. And yeah. he keeps doing it, right? Uh, Red and the Black oh, yeah. recently. Like, oh, I'm, you're going to go ahead and sing this. Like, <laughs> I always recall from, there's one gig when, when Bruce is, uh, uh, I think it was either, uh, I think it's on live chapter actually. Before mm. a verse in Red and the Black, he goes, meanwhile, and I think it's uh, just kind of him telling himself, okay, this is the, you know, starting the brain. Meanwhile, yeah. this is that yeah. long verse. So uh, yeah, he's, he's a pro and uh, Steve is a lucky guy. When I when he when he did that song in Gothenburg, he screwed he did screw it up a bit though. Rather than the black. Yeah, but he didn't. He screwed. He started. He wanted to start whoa whoa whoaing too early. <laughs> Happens to us all. Oh man, if I was on stage for that song, I would just want to whoa whoa the whole time. Yes. That song would get me fired up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love this line here. If I cancel tomorrow, the undead will thank me today. Yeah. I think there's more metaphor in here, and. For the word undead, uh. I'm going to ask you not to think of zombies, mm. which is the common connotation yeah. we have for undead now. Mm. But I think he's just trying to say living people. So if I cancel tomorrow, meaning if I end the world, the people who are alive are going to thank me because I'm saving them from all the pain that they're going to encounter. Sure, yeah. That's that's roughly what I've gotten out of the whole backstory yeah. and thought process of this character whose foresight and knowledge of a future oncoming disaster is sort of tearing him apart and he doesn't know what to do about no. it. Have I kind of got the concept of this album right? I think so. That sounds a bit about right, I feel. Have you talked about the general concept anything today? We, we sort of we sort of dabbled, uh, touched on it. We, I mean, I said we said it was just the fact that there was a idea of a concept album and it is sort of a, it is a concept album in a very loose sense because they, a lot of songs don't really connect to that larger concept yeah exactly I, w- I was just gonna say on your question george nice to see you by the way what's up johnny boy <laughs> i'm just in now i'm on kind of on u.s hours or actually you heard last week probably the results of me staying up pretty much all night having some fun in in uh, in the old daw uh, digital audio workspace that is so uh uh, I've been sleeping. Anyway, uh, <laughs> on the concept uh, of this record, uh, I think uh, you asked George if you got it right, and I don't think there's a right per se, because uh, Bruce alluded to many many a time that it was half-ish a concept record. You know, they found a lot of sevens, they found this little story, but are all the songs connected? Is it an actual story arc all the way through? Probably not. But uh, in my mind, it is. Of course, it is. You know, it's yeah. uh, my favorite record by the band. So uh, I, I and I like that one. That one you just did now. I don't think it's zombies either. Zombies don't fit into this. No, they do not. And that's too bad. As much as I do, I do, I do enjoy zombies. <laughs> do they fit here in this medieval context? Actually, maybe they would. It would be a, a first a oh, medieval man. zombie, story. But I guess in the, what the, was sort of I've had when you the fact that in this in this context perhaps that the undead refers to the, just the living. I'm sure it does because undead sounds way more metal than someone who's a lot you know being a, a, the living. So in, in essence, yeah, you know we we are the we are undead as well, and to be strictly speaking. But you wouldn't you wouldn't refer to yourself as that because it just sounds weird. I mean, I'm going to start doing it now probably because it sounds really cool. Turning <laughs> 33 years undead this year, baby. There you go. Very cool. And there's some. There's, these are some. I mean, the uh, the next bit there. The what, what was it? The um, the moon is red and bleeding. 
The sun is burning black. Book of life. And then the book of life is silent. No turning back. They're awesome lyrics. They're very good. They're very good lyrics. Full of metaphor. Yeah. I love those clean guitars here. Yeah, that's why I do. Versus big clean guitars and the, the tempo is like this is kind of my favorite type of tempo. Because I told Greg, I think, on the other show just the other week, that my favorite tempos are the ones that sound fast but aren't particularly high in BPM. They just sound, you know, fast and active. And this song has that, you know, action-filled kind of video game tempo, if you will. It's a bit of that, you know. The song could go right into Mega Man. Yeah. The Mega Man tempo, that's it. I was gonna say Mega Man, but I say it all the time, so thank you, George, for doing it for me this time. first time you've got a fellow Mega Man fan on the pod maybe I don't know maybe there are others Mega Man's a popular game but I've I've been known to be a fan I've played the old games and they're one of my favorite classic series awesome I think Andy perhaps also on um, who was on with us for episode 100 I think he he should yeah. know and might be Very a Mega cool. Man fan Very cool. I, I was a huge Nintendo fan anyway Zelda but Eric you were about to say something yeah I was about to say I, I recently uh, just replayed all the classic Sonic the Hedgehog games and there's a lot of um, the music-wise. There's there's a bit of this here too, where you can hear bits that could sound like you know that would make like you know fucking you know, really heavy metal tunes if you just move them over to a guitar instead. And I think once you got into the later games, they actually did start having the heavy metal soundtracks. Yes, they did. Those games aren't as good. No, they as not. the old ones when they were back in the simple 2D. All they had was those MIDI soundtracks. Yeah. And, for some reason, it just worked. It did. Was there? We're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Maiden. Hell yeah! I would just add a little bit more about Sonic. Still though, <laughs> it's uh, We're still talking about Sonic. What up? A little bit. A oh. little bit. Uh, there's this tune uh, on uh, this is game rather. My favorite Sonic game. The only one I really played. It was the second, I think. Mm-hmm. When when you got Tails in there. Yeah, yeah. Is it is it just right. simply Sonic Two? Yes, it is. That one has a great soundtrack I had to mention because I want to splice in something like Chemical or Warp Zone. or uh, Chemical... Uh, plant Zone. Yeah. So groovy. 
Sonic has a bit more of funky stuff, you know? The Casino Night Zone. Isn't it known that Michael Jackson helped compose the soundtrack? Yeah, that's what I was yeah. going to say. For the third and technically the fourth game, he composed uh, wow. some of the stuff for it. And I guess for whatever reason, that fell apart. Uh, so that so he's uncredited. But on the re-release of the game, which is what I have, uh, those songs are removed with others on it because they, they couldn't get the rights to reuse them. They re-released that third game much fewer times than the first two, and people speculate it's because they had the soundtrack licensing issues. That could be the case. There's been a wave in fine culture of video game music coming into it, mm. both in jazz and in classical. Mm. So I've so- seen here in Stockholm, the Bärvald Hallen and PS4, it's the fancy schmancy mm. radio I listen to for classical. They've started playing Mega Man on trombone and, and shit. And then there you have these big band shows playing only... Uh, Music from, for example, from Sonic, actually. A big band, uh, like 25 people on stage, 3,000 in the audience in, in the States doing it. I think they call the 8-bit orchestra or something. That's as such. Cool. So it's it's actually becoming like standards yeah. within both within jazz and within classical, which is, of course, called for as like immortal melodies. So oh, definitely. You know, I, I had to take my opportunity here because it's my beginning of music love starts right there mm. with uh, Mega Man, you know. Yeah, that's where it started. And it's obviously Iron Maiden, right? Sonic probably had some influence in there for me too. And up with games that had a lot of good soundtracks, the Final Fantasy series. They have a like a very well lauded composer. He had a band called the Black Mages that made like heavy metal versions of Final Fantasy songs. So the relationship between metal and video game music it goes far. I got to live out his like John Lord fanship as well. Have the Hammond B3 and shake it on stage and and just you know be be John Lord, but playing his tunes, which are very I mean like the, I think I put the the fight song from Seven in one of our episodes, which sounds like For Whom the Bell Tolls or um, Pictures of Home. Nobuo if he was influenced by the Purple, surely whoever wrote stuff for for those games, the Mega Man games, was surely a Maiden fan. It's so clear. So that's cool. But I was a Nintendo gamer. It was kind of like you had to pick, you had to choose Sega or Nintendo, like Metallic or Maiden. It was weird back in the 90s. Yeah. I think Sega was marketed to be slightly more cool, more violent. You're like, this is for you that is no longer a toddler. You play Sega because we got the more violent and adult video games going on. Yeah, and the commercials had like basketball and hockey. Yeah, and they exactly. They wanted to sell it, it to people other than sports, kids. Sports, sports, and no kid zone, which I guess in hindsight explains why I picked Nintendo, which was way more true to the heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the more popular route. 
Yeah. Before we before we move, get back to uh, to uh, Maiden. Yeah, that's that's the guys. Um, <laughs> do you guys recall? I don't know if you and Jonathan. I don't know if it necessarily became a thing here. But there was something called uh, that that was supposed to be the next big thing. Like it was, I think it was called Sega Dreamcast. I have it. Do you recall that? Ooh, yeah. that was that didn't last long, did but, it? Weren't those like LP sort of vinyl sized fucking? No, discs? that was another system. Um, Dreamcast was normal CD format, actually. Yeah, no, it, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, but there was one that oh, you can buy them still for some reason. Uh, then it probably is not that. Like Laserdisc. So they made a Laserdisc system, or someone well, I, mean, did? I, I guess it looks. I mean, it kind of looks like. Uh, I don't know how it worked, but if, as I recall, the disc, the, the game disc, were the same size, and they kind of looked like that. Uh, but again, I, I just saw this sort of in commercials and whatnot, and maybe in like a few gaming magazines from like the '90s. I remember I was a little bit jealous because there was a, a Sonic game that was coming to that, that and, and and I think that was the first one not being released on Genesis, and that was like Sonic 3D or some shit. And and I, I have played that since then because it was on one of these collections, and it was not a good game. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of laser discs, if you have anyone has any laser discs at home, uh, get in touch. Um, one of my uh, friends uh, and a uh, guy who's a bartender at my sort of uh, my regular bar, Loch Ness, he he collects them. Um, so if you're looking to sell some laser discs, I, I can uh, I can uh, facilitate. Nerd, yeah. what a nerd! <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's a nerd. Let's continue talking about Iron <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> speaking of things in the '80s, yeah. that are much better than laser discs. <laughs> Only the good die young. Laserdisc is a format that died young. So was that good? Because only the good die young. Only the good finish breakfast at 4 p.m. There you go. So so uh, rewind a little bit because we're heading in for the Smith solo first, I think. Which Christian did in an episode we call back to all the time because mm. it was awesome. In episode four, he played this very exotically flavored, super cool solo that is... So telling of what is completely unique for Seventh Son. They never really did it again. They never did it before. It's You don't have to be a music snob. You don't have to be a music nerd. You can hear the exotic noitosis. You can hear the adventures and frankly quite evil sounds in it. Mm. So, George, hit it. No awesome chorus also. Oh, yeah. That's super anthemic. It's awesome. Yeah. What did you say it sounded like? Just sort of evil or sinister sounds. Eric and I were saying earlier, like the song has a sinister vibe right off the bat with the mm. strumming and the lyrics. And I guess yeah. the solo is continuing along that path. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
Wow. This is also Adrian's last uh, solo on a Maiden album up until Wicker Man. That's true. Hmm. I mean, again, we don't know which order they recorded them, of course. But uh, you know, chronologically, as they were, as as you as they're sort of you heard in the album, in discography, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Next one is Rick Wickerman. We're heading in for a bass solo now, I think, aren't we? This is the best part of the entire song. Uh, the bass solo. Yeah. This is so the best cool. part of the song. It's fucking awesome. Hit it. Mm. The songwriter too, right? It must be a Steve tune. This one. Stephen Bruce. Ah, huh? Stephen Bruce. Shit. And then, ah, here we go. I'm glad I got in for the second round of this intro. That was the only thing I felt like, fuck, I missed the intro. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Even the keyboards, everything, it just works. Wow, it's good. I'm reminded why I'm not fickle enough to pick Killers as my favorite record just because it is now, because this is the best. Theatrical, some innocent parts. The song just goes from part to part, quick, like um, changeover, smooth. And again, those clean guitars. That must be Adrian. Super smooth, nice. Smooth, but also has like an ominous kind of sinister sounding thing. A little bit like what he did in um, No More Lies, but this mm -hmm. time it is the lead. Because yes. I remember Eric saying that could be the lead. Here it kind of is. Yeah. Vocals aside, obviously. And the chorus is just anthemic maiden chorus, oh, yeah. but a really good one. This chorus is the part that could make it really kick-ass live. Yep, modulates upright. Einschlager. So this could be Dave, right? I assume so. Yeah, it is. And it's before the four minute mark. The song is actually over. They got a minute now of one more time. That part started at 342. Yeah. The song yeah. is 442. There's yep. a full minute of outro. outro. And it rocks. Well, 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 well. So, half a minute of that outro and then half a minute of this outro. Seven deadly sins, seven ways to win. Which connects it to the beginning of the whole. Very satisfying, actually. Indeed. Seven downward slopes. Seven bloodied hopes, seven are your burning fires, seven your desires. I remember Ben saying, is this thing a bit spinal tap? I never thought of it as such. It's too satisfying mm. when I get here at the end. I, like, I can't think of it as uh, funny or comedical or anything. Like It's, uh, it's nice. You know? It's oh, a yeah, fantasy yeah. album. You want should the have. album to go full circle. Yeah. Yep. Oof, what a song, what a song. Even though it's only 44 minutes long, like it's a easily digestible listen. And you might think well, if it's a long album, you have to bring it full circle. But it's almost better to bring it full circle when it's a short album yeah. because it's, I agree. it hasn't been such a long time that you forgot how Moonchild started. Mm. Yep. 
Uh, now, that's actually one of the things also that I keep bringing up and why this album is so good is that, of course, yeah, it is this full-blown, uh, well, I guess, half-concept album, but still a full-blown uh, album in terms of being very dramatic and very large and uh, almost over the top. But it's just 44 minutes. It's so important that it has that nice running time. It's not a hard album to digest. There is no dead meat on those bones either. It's 44 minutes, it's two sides of circa 22, and it's just like, this song isn't even four minutes if you discount the outros. Uh, it's one of those, I call them ride out uh, exit songs. Mm. So instead of doing the long song at the end, you know, the, the hallowed or the to tame a land or similar, you do a ride out end. So it's like uh, onwards, almost like an opener. But at the end, yeah, it's more opener than Moonshine almost. Like Moonshine is more mysterious and more like um, in, in, Moonshine is also an action-packed song. But this is the most opening track sounding song at the end, and I've always liked that. This is like the concert closer rather than the album closer. Yeah, because concerts usually end on a high-energy tune like "Run to the Hills" mm. or. I don't know, uh, some other examples, Wasted Years. Uh, right, yeah. And I'm, I've been doing, I've been in the process now for four, five years, uh, but it's coming to somewhat of a, a finish line with two albums. And on both of those, I had the same idea. Like, I want to do a Only the Good Die Young ride out type outro. Yeah. Uh, but I'm trying to th think of other stuff that is released that has this action filled, shorter outro track. Can you guys come up with something? Well, I'm trying to. Th I'm just going to check the length, but doesn't uh, uh, struggle within on Black Album? Isn't wouldn't that kind of count as? Is that a long one too? Yeah, yeah. Kind oh of. well, look at Dyer's Eve on Injustice well, for All. Yeah, yeah. Injustice mm, for yeah. All is full of like ten minute, eight minute epics, and then they close out the album with probably the shortest and punchiest banger they have, and maybe even one of the fastest Metallica songs of all time, mm. like. Dyer's Eve, Fox. Damage Inc. too, right? Yeah. A good example, because Damage Inc. Is, an, is one of those, yeah. The ending on Only the Good Die Young is amazing, because first of all, the big rock endings, those are cool as fuck, and Maiden doesn't do them all the time. I'm trying to imagine the thought process in my head of how they were deciding what to end the album with. Yeah. And I have like this probably fabricated image of Bruce and Steve arguing with each other. One of them saying, no, no, we need the big rock ending. The other one saying, no, we need to go full circle and do the intro from Moonchild. Right. And then they ended up just doing both. And it's awesome because you can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. I recall being sort of, when I first heard this way back when, I, I recall sort of genuinely, genuinely being sort of a bit surprised that that came back at the end. And that made me very happy. You never prepare for the for the big rock ends with the tribute band. It has never even been on topic. Like, okay, so what do we do in the rock ending? The rock ending is the rock ending. You just rock. So yeah. that's what I like about them. You know, I like improvisation, that kind of stuff. And it's cool. You just, oh, and, and I don't know what I've been doing. That's It's fun when I watch the recordings of our shows. Because, oh, okay, I did that for the rock end. Cool. Because you're not even uh, yourself at that time. You're just uh, one with rock.
What do you feel about rock intros at concerts? You, when you go up and you just kind of yeah, they come like yeah like, like yeah like yeah I don't know I'm making just noises but just essentially the same sort of situation but at the, at the beginning um, like a hit the lights type thing right yeah exactly hit but the lights even though that's on a record uh, yeah yeah I, no, oh, exactly here we go we're on it you're lights. on it yeah. yeah there we go good man that's they did it on record which is cocky but yeah I've been in two minds about that Eric uh, sometimes I felt like is this really isn't this a bit vulgar? But I don't know if you asked me today, I'd say I dig them. But I remember a lot of concerts as a younging, young guy. And it's just like, okay, you're going to start to show off with a rock end, but as a start? Mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But t- today I kind of like them and Hit the Lights is, is very cool. It's cocky to do it on record. What do you think, George, about the the rock start? I don't hear it often. I, I It makes sense live. It's an easy way to sort of pump up the crowd and make a statement like right off the bat and if you have your first song that may not have the best lead in or if you're a newer band and people don't know your song then it makes all the sense in the world uh doing it on hit the lights i can't look at it on in an unbiased way because i've loved that song for so long Mm. so hey i i like it I don't know any other songs that do that, or I can't think of them off the top of my head right now. No life to live I mean, I, for, for a couple of, uh, long time ago, a friend of mine had a band called Lucian, and they do it on one of their tunes uh, on, the, on the record. But uh, otherwise, live, I mean, live, I've only heard it twice, I think. And one of them was uh, Bruce, his solo band in 2002. Oh, they did uh, that? Cool. Yeah. And then I also, last time, in 2019, I saw Smashing Pumpkins, and they did that before they started Zero in the beginning of the gig. But theirs was very, very brief. It was just like you know, it wasn't, it wasn't you know the hit the lights kind of situation. It was very, you know, right, just to get shit going. I think I know where it comes from now, or kind of where it comes from. It's uh, Speed King, the opening of In Rock, Deep Purple. Oh. There's also a, an actual practical reason to do this. If you don't have a sound check or a proper sound uh, setup even, maybe you don't have a tech, you can actually do that to see if everyone hears themselves. You can go and uh, you know turn those knobs a little bit as you do it. So yeah. you're just kind of uh, hiding your sound check in a wall of sound. And that's what the purple used to do, and that's why in rock starts with that awesome, by the way, <laughs> start. Well, that makes sense. An influence. Lars Ulrich's first show was... Indeed, Deep Purple in Denmark and the Fireball tour, tour, I think. I'm learning the secrets from you, John. You can disguise <laughs> a sound check with those. That's cool, yeah, man. You can, you can. It's a trick.
Oh yeah, okay, I made my mind up. Uh, rock and roll intros are awesome. Cool. Before we get off of Only the Good Die Young, I think we should point out that those last couple verses we covered, they have some amazing lyrics in there too. Like there are some great lines. I always enjoyed measure your coffin. Does it measure up to your lust? And I take out of that the whole, the whole dual opposing cliches of how the rich say he who dies with the most toys wins. And the other cliche on the opposing end is you can't take it with you when you die. Yeah. And yeah, because all your mortal possessions, well, when you're dead, you can't enjoy them anymore. And the line measure your coffin does it measure up to your lust it it's very much pointing to how some people they have an endless desire for more wealth and more of everything hmm. great point great point i never thought of it but it's arm hair rising stuff i think and for a band that mentions death in pretty much every album title this is probably <laughs> their best song their best song about death or their yeah. best song about dying because a good song about death should be a song about life right just like in your example now, the, the death itself is not super interesting. Uh, that could be if you're a gore band, maybe the death itself is interesting. But this, uh, to me, like uh, I actually never really understood that line. Uh, but uh, if it's, uh, I mean, going from your interpretation here, great line. Says a lot in just one line. Full of great lyrics, the song. Definitely, yeah. I mean, with your bishops and your guilt... Mm. It's also a quirky line, isn't it? So I think I'll leave you with your bishops and your guilt. Mm. So until the next time, have a good sin. I like that line. Sinner! <laughs> Sinner! <laughs> Love getting some uh, sin after sin into our episodes. Very good. Is it awesome lyrics? I think they're kind of awesome. I would agree. I think they're pretty fucking awesome. Mystery Madman. Victim of cruel charade on some innocent pawn in, in an end game. One more stalemate. His death on another birthday. So that's about the circular nature of, of, of things, you know. Uh, a way to kiss. Or maybe even rebirth. Yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. Like the, the kind of pagan view on life. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, for example, Ragnarök in, in the old Norse thing. It's not the end of the world. It's the end of one cycle. And going into the next and it can be connected to our harsh winters too like the winters are not the end right but they end one cycle all the trees die all the plants die mm. to then be reborn so uh, this song has all of that it's quite a philosophical tune about death i think that's why i like it uh, it's not about actually dying so much as it is about what comes before and after yeah and undead gets mentioned one more time in here there we go do the undead live within us so that's a bit different and look through our eyes staring through the eyes of the dead don we were listening to cc right before you got yeah do the undead live within us that is an interesting line so maybe that's a sort of allusion to every person is just a dead person waiting to die or because it's it's the end for everyone to live is to die kind of thing also a little bit just because you mentioned justice for all now it all comes together right it's uh, indeed now speaking of not 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 really speaking of which uh we haven't really uh so uh, the song in question 
if it's going on the list or not. And I think it definitely is, right? Oh, it has to. It has to. So. Yes. Yeah. I think the list has been growing rapidly. I knew this was going to happen because I looked at the later, 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 later uh, um, letters in the alphabet and I saw a lot of good songs. So I think this is when this is going to really get crowded. Uh, which is going to make for a fun elimination process at the yeah, end that'll, then. That'll be a good one. Next spring or yeah. so. With the concept of the list, you can't be too stingy with what goes on it, or nor can you be too liberal with what goes on it, because it's the top 50. And if you reach the end and you only have 40 songs on your top 50, then you didn't do your job good enough. Yeah, well, yeah. that couldn't happen with this band and, and us. It couldn't happen with us and this band. But, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're we're supposed to, at the end, have more than 50 songs so you can cut it down yep. and get to the best of the best that being said only the good die young is top 50 definitely oh, so it's good. going so on the good. damn list it is it's on, the, on list. the damn list and it's going on the goddamn list and i've told people that don't get the list that actually the next step is the important one the first step is the idol auditions you could say someone comes in is the potential or is someone in our panel a fan it goes in Songs that me and Eric don't like are on the list because there was a guest on who was a champion for the for that one. It could be one of the judges in uh, Idol, in American Idol, yeah, like convincing the others, let's give him a chance, let's give her a chance. So the next step is the important part of the list-making process, yeah. the, 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 the weeding out and the trimming of the fat, so to speak, which will, I think, occur next spring. But you never know with us. Sometimes things take a lot of extra time, you know. Mm. I thought we'd do this one back in early fall or something i think initially. yeah yeah so that uh, happens i mean you know we, yeah. we, we things you know we, 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 no, we rush. A, no rush it's, i'd rather you know it's it's uh i think it's uh it's the journey yeah, not the destination yeah there you go exactly and i was thinking when you mentioned the other day that we technically only i mean after this we only have 54 songs left yeah 56 or something yeah, yeah. so uh. that you know and that's what, like jesus that's it that's that's a bit you know so yeah I, i'm that's all for still it. at least a year of solid content yeah, pretty right. much yeah I'm, yeah I'm i'm still i'm i'm definitely for prolonging prolonging the magic as they say i think yep, i think that's yep. the name of a cake album prolonging, prolonging the, magic. the magic i think so it's <laughs> a funny title but yeah obviously only good ayan goes on the list i'm going to fight for it to be on the final list as well i'm sure because uh, i think it's yeah a standout I'd track i'd like to see who's going to bat for the assassin eric is a big fan of the assassin I, 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 I am not, and nor do I want that. That That is not the narrative I want to start. <laughs> Last time it was mentioned, like, Assassin is on the list, and Eric says, not for long, it ain't. Yeah, it could be on there for long. <laughs> <laughs> that song better watch out, because... Better, yeah, better watch out, because you're sneaking up behind. Uh, <laughs> you assassinate assassins. Indeed. Assassin. That's cool. Yeah, assass- yeah. Yeah, it's cool. like a Inception assassin, Quadra yes. assassin, Quad assassin. That's Eric. That's his actual job. Indeed, assassinating assassins. Speaking of literally nothing to do with that at all. Um, we have another song for today. Yeah, we've got another song that's not fit for a, a soul episode. It is not. So it needs to be in this one, I think, anyway. It's, uh, yeah. But also, I would say I haven't heard it much, uh, so I need to be, uh, come in with an open mind here. I recall this song, only Out of the Shadows, is the title. Mm. I recall it as something that sounded like a leftover from a Bruce solo record. Something that yeah. would be on uh, 
Tyranny of Souls, if it came out like a deluxe edition, there were a couple of disincluded songs. That's how I recall it. And it's been a long time since I heard it. And when a song is coming up um, in our show that I haven't heard in long, I, I don't listen to it. Then it's like, okay, cool. Then I can listen to it fresh when we actually do the episode. Yeah. So that's uh, how I come in. I definitely have things to say about it, but I'd rather start listening first because, yep, yep. well, I guess first I'll say it's a very unassuming song. And this pairing of Only the Good Die Young and Out of the Shadows, at first it seems very weird, uh-huh. but you're going to find some themes that tie together because we talked about so much about life, death, and rebirth mm, in right. Die Young. And I have a feeling we're going to be hitting on the same themes here. That's cool. The title alludes to it for sure. So should we do the should we do the intro? Yes. Three, two, one. A little bit total clips, the intro. Kind of 90s also, I would say. 90s feel. Yeah, definitely. Not a bad intro. Children of the Dam rehashed. What do you guys think? This, this is a pretty good intro in verse, I think. It's uh, chilled out. It uh, has a nice 90s slash 70s feel to it, I think. I think um, my feelings on this is, um, and this might sound, the, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll say it and you can take it for what it is. I, I can't find anything really wrong with this song, but I can't find anything that gets me too excited either. It's it's a solid kind of ballady kind of situation. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't do that often. I like the sound of it. It has a cool sort of a, you know, the acoustic guitar, the acoustic guitars, and uh, there's a cool solo. I think. Uh, I just don't think it's doing anything out of this world, really. Right there, you summed up my feelings on the song as a whole. There isn't anything that I can pick out and say is wrong with it. It's just not reaching that next level. But you know what? It's perfect for what it is because. Every album needs a sort of ballady song that just breaks the flow and gives you a little something different. Senjutsu has Darkest Hour, and it's great. It's a great placement where it is in the middle of the album, just like Out of the Shadows is. Uh, I'm not sure every album needs it, but many albums need it. I agree. But also, like there are levels to that shit, right? This is not a dreamer deceiver. No, I mean, but it's it's it is it's sort of like it feels. I think that in the uh, in the nar- in the sort of nar- narrative of even if you, not not story wise, just the flow of the album, because this comes after Longest Day and before the reincarnation of Benjamin Brig, um, I think it does sort of fit pretty well there, and it sort of makes sense there. Because um, those songs are quite weighty, like yeah. thousands of kilos, and this is a little more light, a little more airborne, as it yeah. as this it is were. a break. It's a break, kind of, yeah. And again, I will say that if the acoustic thing was just a bit more interesting, 
I would have been more intrigued at this point because the acoustic bit is so standard. One of the most like Formula A1 things Maiden have ever done, and they've, they've done some of those things, but this was so randomly standard, that acoustic bit. It annoys me. The rest of it, I think, is pretty nice. I like the relaxed vocal cadence and the total eclipse-ish intro. ba ba da da Very 70s, kind of cool. It's a, it's a song that makes me think of many better songs, you could say. I was just a bit surprised here. Let me just check something. Uh, yeah, so this is a this is a Bruce Steve song. Yep, two of them in a row. Two of them in a row. See, these songs pair better than you thought. Right? You go. Yeah, about that fit, right? Yeah. Now, I was I was I was sure it would have been like because you mentioned before, Jonathan, that it sounded like something that might have been left over from a solo album or that kind of vibe, and like yeah, and that would sort of lead me to believe aging would have been involved. Right, it could, but I mean it's obviously primarily a dickinson tune yes like if you look at these colors don't run it says smith harris dickinson look at out of the shadows it says dickinson harris i think his name is first for a reason yeah i mean it's probably his tune and harris added to it my guess you know yeah that could be that could be the case yeah yeah very possible yeah i never put too much thought into that but these credits, the the names go in order, and yep, yeah, yeah in different orders. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you look at the legacy on this one, Gars Gars Harris, right? So principal writer Gars. It looks like they are in a purposeful order. The the mentioning of the writers. And on the on the th- on the Brave New World, Thin Line Between Love and Hate, uh, it says Murray Harris. Uh, okay, yeah. and, and Brave New World also it says Murray uh, Harris Dickinson. Ah, yeah, that's what I hoped for, because yeah. I hear a lot of Dave in those tunes. Uh, yeah. But Nomad could be a Harris Murray, then maybe, or a Murray Harris. Murray Harris. Harris? Murray Harris, Harris yep. never tends to go first, unless he's the only songwriter, I've noticed. That could be also, yeah. Uh-huh. That's, that's and that might be because then he did only add, or he did only take the song, cut it up, and, you know, as he does, uh, just, you know, make Maiden out of it. So that could be the case, actually, that uh, when he's not... The main, no, rather like this, when he's uh, writing a song with others, he comes in after the initial mm. idea is presented to him. So it would make sense. That's cool. I mean, it's, 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 um, for your yeah. listener, uh, now George is browsing through different credit lines. <laughs> it's true. I am. It's, it's interesting stuff. And um, the theory kind of holds up that. Steve seldom comes in first. He comes in middle on some tracks, yeah. like Face in the Sand and Journeyman, for example. He's in the middle of those. Dickinson last, so maybe Dickinson did, you know, even came in after. Probably so just let, let's say, let's say Journeyman. Adrian wrote the thing. Uh, did Adrian write Journeyman? I forgot that. He's first there. Is that wrong? Yeah. Ah, never mind. No, Go back right. and listen to that episode. Same same panel, but uh, Smith uh, Harris Dickinson. So maybe Smith wrote the. The core of the track, Harris arranged it, and Dickinson came in last, adding some vocals and onto the lyrics, some melodies or something. I don't know, but I think these orders are of somewhat importance. There's some importance to them, I think. Like telling of. So, with that being said, that would make uh, that would make this song out of the shadows uh, something that Dickinson did a larger part of the music for mm. and i think even so though he's the yeah. vocalist it, it's not like he's totally unskilled with instruments he can play on a basic level and in the past he's written certain songs himself like on power slave power, yeah, and, he wrote uh, the power slave revelations riff, you know? on peace of mind 
Yeah, and also that explains why the guitar, the acoustic guitar bit is so bland. <laughs> He's not the best <laughs> guitarist. He's not the best guitarist. He can write on a guitar. He can yeah. write great on a guitar, but he's not like let's say he can't come up with the coolest voicings and stuff i wouldn't say he's more of a cowboy chord guy i would really love to hear go back in time and hear his him presenting the song power slave how that sounded when he was dabbling showing that you know look. yeah that cassette that was almost trampled by steve in the argument in the mission from area that'd be interesting to to hear that yeah. actual cassette probably some very untight guitars i'd assume yeah probably but cool yeah. riffage but still we just i just i used never hear him you know, you can. I've heard him on. Um, you know, you see him on the on the live after death. He does do a bit of guitar there, um, and you see. You know, I see him every now and again with the guitar. But I've never heard him do anything. What I would say close to, what I would say quote unquote riffing at all. And that song, I shared it in the friends group. That beautiful track from Accident of Birth. Uh, yes. What's the title again of that song? Oh, uh, uh, Arc of Arc of Space. Yeah, yeah. He plays on that, but I mean, at the end, he goes so out of rhythm that he decides to stop playing and just sing, which is a good call because yeah. he's just pretty much fucking up the instrumentation side of things, and <laughs> mm. you just leave that to to uh, Roy Z. Don't yeah. don't play, and it's a good call. So he's not a good guitarist, you could say, but no, but he's I mean, he, he's. I think he's. That's okay. He's a singer. Yeah, I think, singer. I, think, I think maybe he has a future. Has yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, it's like if I write on the keys, I do sometimes. It's not I can't play them, uh, not like proper piano style, but I can of course write on them, and so can Bruce on the guitar. You don't have to be good at an instrument to utilize it as a songwriting tool. No. Let's go into the chorus then. Let's go out of the shadows. Out of the shadows into the chorus. Oh, come on, not that bad. It's a very boring chord. If you remove the vocals, there's not a hell of a lot going on there, but the thing is, that's okay because the vocals are not supposed to... Uh, to me, it's not okay, actually. I really dislike that chord, I have to say. I don't like I, it at all. It's not a chorus that lights you on fire. I mean, no. can you even imagine being in the crowd at a maiden gig and singing along to that? Like, uh, I did uh, three times. <laughs> eh, probably not. Good reply, though. Yeah. I like the little guitar fills and stuff, but... Oh, it's so boring. <laughs> sorry, and any fan of this song, sorry, but uh, it's so boring, this chorus. <laughs> something to add some excitement this is an adrian solo please save the day cool time anyway and here we go with another boring ass chorus <laughs> yeah i mean you compared uh, there's comparison early on to this and um darkest hour and i get kind of what you meant there 
I think Darkest yeah. Hour has done so much better. That's a proper fucking. That's a huge chorus. I really like that one. Darkest Hour is much better. Oh yeah. This is cool. This is nice. Again, seventies. This is very seventies. And how they play both distorted electric and acoustic in the break. I like that. We're like three and a half minutes in. Yep. And if Maiden was a normal band, they wouldn't even have that. Like after that last chorus, that would have been the ending. Yeah. But now we're getting a whole extended musical piece and later a fourth chorus. Thankfully we get an extension because it's sorely needed after those three choruses. Some cool bass and drums there. This is the part that makes it more interesting and takes it a, a little bit above just the basic rock song. Yeah. Is it Gers now? Possibly. I'm, I'm hearing Gers. Like, I'm hearing a little bit of the end of Sign of the Cross. Mm-hmm. And this is a pretty nice turnaround. And then we go with the fourth chorus. I'm here for the leaves. Fourth chorus. It's four minutes in. Thanks for nothing, Bruce. <laughs> okay, and now it's doubled. Oh, God damn it. Out of the shadows in a desperate caress. And then you get this, the shitty acoustic. We made it if they didn't go back to the soft outro from the beginning. So I'll be brief. I'll let you guys in. <laughs> There's two things that I really don't like about this track, and they are super. They are super prolific. It's the chorus, of course, and it's that acoustic bit that came at the end and in the beginning. Both of them suck to me. And they cover so much ground in this track because everything else I actually really dig in this track. But it's, I mean, it's covered up by that chorus all the time. And then the acoustic bit sucks too. So yeah, I, I really have to say I don't like this track at all. Fair in the enough. end, in summary, you know. Yeah. But what about you guys? Yeah, George. Add perspective. The chorus, I don't dislike it, but it's not that good. It's kind of just there. It's, it keeps the song going. It doesn't detract. It's average. It's bog average. And that, that's what I hate about an, it. Yeah. As an individual song, I never ever seek out out of the shadows. I never go into whatever music player and and I never say, I want to hear this and click on it. it no, I I don't think I've done that once. No, but I, I will give at least some praise for the way that it fits into the album and how it flows. I think in that sense, it does pretty much its job perfectly. You know, it's one of the three shortest songs on the album, and it's coming in between two songs that are very dark and heavy in between The Longest Day and The Reincarnation of Benjamin Brieg. Uh, track six out of a 10-track album that's pretty lengthy, and I think this is a great fit in the context of the album to break things up. So. I will give it its due for that. Uh, not 
a solid, not a standout song, not a list song, I dare say, but it, we, at the very least, it's good enough to be where it is on the album, and I enjoy it when I listen to a Matter of Life and Death as a whole. I think that it's, uh, like I said in the beginning, I don't. there's nothing really that, that bothers me too much about it. There's nothing I really get that excited about either. I think there's, um, uh, the frustrating thing is I think it could be something way way better with a little bit more uh i don't know what the, i don't know what it really could spice have done. it needs spice, yeah. spice. It's, it's so it's a bland it meal yeah. it needs something and it's not it's not there and that's that's too bad but i think that uh in the sense of where it is sequence wise in the album like like george has touched on did make does make sense i think that in the flow of listening to it i think it uh i think it, it works very well uh but as an as an individual song it's it's not particularly exciting um yeah, I mean sometimes sometimes you need those just because I think that it's a good it, it it works well between those two massive songs that I both of them which I'll say are far, far better songs I'll say uh, so to, you know not not to spoil uh, sort of things to come but I I do enjoy reincarnation Major and Brigo a, a lot more than I enjoy this song. You guys actually explained why I don't like it through your perspectives because well, you yeah. both said, well. There's nothing bad about it. It's uh, it's okay. It does, it's not nothing. And that's the problem. Boring is the worst. I'd rather have a provocatively shitty song than a boring song. There's a scene in uh, Preacher that, based on a comic. There's a scene in it where someone says, "Well, you know, at least I'm uh, at least I'm a solid guy." I mean, boring is not the worst. And the other character says, "Well, maybe boring is the worst." And that's kind of you know where I come from. Boring is the worst. I'd rather have like uh, something really odd or weird that sort of well, just I mean, kicks me out the chair. Boring is the worst, and this song is so fucking boring. <laughs> imagine if stuff sort imagine of imagine hearing it live, John. I heard it three but, times. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, went I, to the Matter of Life and Death tour, but uh, I don't think my experience was as positive as yours. Yeah, no, I mean it was. Uh, yeah, but again, at the live situation, it was like it was. Uh, I think it. I think it had a. It slightly it, it stirred your legs live a dozen the album. But I, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, a, it's not an amazing, it, it's, you know, if I wasn't pinned all the way up at the front of that, those three gigs, that definitely would have been a, a perfect time for a beer run. Right, right. Eric, you mentioned the song seems like it's missing something to bring it to the next level. And to John's point, it's the chorus. And we talked about Darkest Hour. That's a song that does this style much better. Oh, yeah. Darkest Hour has a way better chorus. Yeah. It's so much spicier too. It's Indeed. spicier. It's, it's meaner in a way. It's darker, uh, yeah. pun intended. But uh, we should get into the lyrics though, because we haven't really dug into the lyrics. And I think that's something I could enjoy more than the music of this track. All right. I'll stick around for a few more minutes and I got to head out. But you guys um, carry the torch. Yes, sir. Onwards. You could be in for a bit of the lyric analysis, I guess. Yeah, yeah, go. So we got. So I mean, you, you said all right. So why, why don't you kick us off, George? Because you seem to have you ha you seem to you teased you had some thoughts about mm -hmm. this. Hold a halo round the world. Golden is the day. Princes of the universe, your burden is the way. So there is no better time. Who will be born today? A gypsy child at daybreak. A king for the day. Okay, so. The lyrics, they are tying in really well with the album title, A Matter of Life and Death. Eric, I think you were alluding to this a little bit earlier, but A Matter of Life and Death, people sort of argue whether that's a concept album. Yeah. 
And a concept album to me is a storyline that someone wrote, something like Avantasia's Metal Opera. But you can have albums where all the songs tie back to the same themes. Hmm. So I wouldn't call this a concept album. I would call it a thematically consistent album. Mm-hmm. And yes. something people tend to not remember about A Matter of Life and Death before the album was revealed and released, there was a lot of rumor and speculation that it would be a concept album because Seventh Son was, and this is album number 14. Mm-hmm. And they had talked about how we want to do something like that again. But what we got instead was this album where it's not a story, but instead we have every song revolving around a centralized uh same sort of motifs yeah so life part is evident right in the beginning and it seems like it's describing the birth of a child and what a momentous great and happy occasion it is golden is the day a king for the day princes of the universe that that, that makes him want to listen to the song prince of the universe by queen instead that's a better song (laughs) Also true. This made me think a little bit about the song uh, Power of the Sun from Bruce's uh, latest solo effort. Uh, that is sort of like tells the story of the halo around the world. I think about that, you know, the, the, how the sun comes back up again. I think he said about Power of the Sun that it's he was walking in Tokyo as the sun was rising or something. And like kind of visualizing the, I guess, the relationship in between uh, night and day and, you know, death and life and that kind of stuff. And he's, he's good at that. I think that's kind of his home base. He can go to at any time. He doesn't have to be inspired or anything. He can start writing and it's going to come out pretty good. It's a good verse. Good verse. And then you get into the chorus and you get a little bit of something different out of the shadows and into the sun dreams of the past as the old ways are done. There is beauty and surely there is pain, but to endure it, to live again, but we must endure it to live again. Okay. This is a matter of life and death. The Mm. first verse was life. It was birth. And now this part is death. With death also comes rebirth. We must endure it to live again. Yeah. What was it in the last song? Is death another? No, no. Last word there. Death another birthright. Was it? Oh, I can't. Oh, fuck. Um, Is death another birthday? Yeah, that's it. That ties in. Is death another birthday. That's a yep. cool line. That's that is a cool yeah. line. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right, dudes, I'm going to jump out, but I will, I'll sort of probably jump in again a little bit, depending how long uh, you guys go. Um, I'm still going to be here. I'm not going anywhere. I have stuff I need to do here because I have people coming over here in not too long. Okay, yes, sir. Cool. Peace, guys. Take care. All right, so we're heading in for second verse, right? And last verse, I think it is. There's two verses in this, just like in No Prayer. Two verses, four choruses. Dusty dreams in fading daylight flicker on the walls. Nothing new, your life's adrift. What purpose to it all? Eyes are closed and death is calling. Reaching out its hand, call upon the starlight to surround you. And at that point, he's saying, okay, fuck rhyming. But, you know, there's there's not a lot in these lyrics. It's only two verses. There's yep. not even as much as I thought there was. I, I guess you could get a lot just out of this. And maybe that's by necessity because you don't have anywhere else to draw meaning from. <laughs> but you know what? I think like, there's, a, there's this thing about songwriters that 
most of us, we have a sort of a safe zone that we can go to and just put it out of our ass, as we say. I'm not against that at all. I think it's sometimes you just got to do that. You can't wait to be inspired to come up with something grand or something very new or in innovative. But uh, so you can go for the standard A thing. And I think these verses are, and I will say I like these verses, but I think this is uh, something Bruce can write again and again and again. And has. And has, yeah. Uh, but it's good verses. And But the fact that it's just two of them is another thing that makes me think this song uh, is a quick written tune, not super worked on, uh, not something he's been sitting on for a long time. I think he could, again, put it out of his ashel, as we say. We have that expression here, too. And you're probably right. And that the song, this song does sort of have that feeling. And look at this line. Nothing new. Your life's adrift. Well, that's a little self-descriptive. <laughs> you mean of the track? Yeah. Yes, Perhaps. I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't disagree. And then what purpose to it all? I guess that's, you know, the standard, uh, the motivation, you know, or what's what's your motivation to, to carry on, to go about, uh, really? Uh, eyes are closed and death is calling. Yeah, quite self-explanatory, I would say. Uh, the end of things, reaching out his hand. But then comes, I think, the best line of the song call upon the starlight to surround you it's a nice nice line actually that's uh i'll give it to if that came out of bruce's arse he's got a good arse going there i think the storytelling of the song suffers in only having two verses you know you got the first birth uh i'm sorry you got the first verse and you're talking about the birth of a new child and then you get to the second verse and this person's already on their deathbed fast you forward know, where's where's all the life in between he wants to get this song done for some reason and i would also say i do agree with you and eric that it sits well in the track listing in the sequence but also benjamin brieg has this very soft very shilled out intro that could actually serve i think personally i would say the album would have been better without this track for me just remove it it's a long album and you do get some breathing space and like uh, Longest Day before has a long brooding intro. Uh, Reincarnation has a soft brooding intro, very softly sung and all of that. So I deal with a nine track record and I'd prefer it above the 10 track record. I have to say it's, I mean, 72 minutes long. Uh, you don't need this song. I have to say it, like, you don't need it. I do agree it works in the sequence, but I don't, I don't need it. And I think I'm not alone. Yeah, I've always felt like no Iron Maiden album should be more than eight songs. Power yeah, Slave had yeah. eight. Somewhere in Time had eight. The original and the original version of the debut album and Number of the Beast, they had eight. It seems like a pretty winning number for them. And right, usually, uh, when you get, uh, usually when you get more than eight, you can pick out at least one or two that's less good than the others. And I've always said that if I was to chop down A Matter of Life and Death, I would just take out the last two songs, Lord of Light and Legacy, because mm -hmm. I don't like them. But maybe I would take this one out too and make it a seven-track album. I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I know that we're 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 on the same team in that regard. That we both want to have these eight-track albums, and I'm kind of with you actually. Lord of Light, I guess, could be a cool ending song for me. The Legacy, I would kind of remove. Uh, we had Dan on for that, and he really loved the track, so I'm not sure I was that critical. Maybe I didn't feel like being that. I didn't feel like opposing him too much in that one, but I don't think it's a good song. It's uh, It doesn't flow 
Lord of Light has a bit of that problem, but it's slightly cooler, so I would be fine with that ending it. But then, to your point, for the greater good of God would be a good end. That'd be a good end of the record. That's people another. love the legacy. I see people call that a top 10 Maiden track. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't hear it. I have never really gotten it, but I guess some people get it, and more power to you. The song right. is for people other than me, maybe. Yeah, I also mentioned I recently got an email from a listener, Alex, in Maidstone, England, and he wrote, uh, you know, about that thing. Um, that was one of his points, that uh, uh, about the drawn-out nature of Latter Maiden, and he, uh, like, referred to the format, that they had to do it in LPs, or vinyl LPs, back in the day, and that Steve's vision was probably always longer or bigger than that. Uh, so that was kind of defending the new and lengthened stuff, but I would say he should have stuck with the. I mean, we were just on Seventh Sun. If Seventh Sun was double the length, I'm sure it'd be much less of an album. Much less of an album. And this is almost double the length. It's not far. And the last two ones are kind of double the length of, of that one. Uh, I mean, in Power Slave and Summer in Time, they pushed it. It's hard to. Yeah. And I mean, no one is going to press Power a vinyl. Slave is over 51 minutes yeah. that's like unheard of for a vinyl record no one is pressing that anymore no one is pressing that and you have to sacrifice some sonic qualities but in my opinion i'd rather do that and have that neat uh, single vinyl like uh, i got a friend that's he bought master puppets that now on double i don't want that i told him yeah you can sell your single to me because i want master puppets on one disc and i mean i'm an i work with audio i still think it's worth it because the presentation is key the flow of, of the experience is key. And you have to flip sides all the time. You listen to Senjutsu on vinyl. It's fucking tr three discs. It's, a, it's a little annoying, frankly. And I think it's good to be limited in rock music, in metal music. It's good to be limited by the length of a vinyl. That's how I write my stuff uh, and think of it. I always think of it like, oh, shit, okay, they're running out of space on the A side now. And I like it. I like being limited by that. You know, you know what's even better, though? When an artist can limit themselves, when they know what's the cutoff point, that's enough. Mm. Uh, and I'll use Haunt as an example because Haunt has eight or nine songs on every album. Yep. And the guy who behind that band, Trevor Church, he can write new songs in his sleep. He's always productive. A friend uh, of yours, right? You don't, By now, you could say. Yes. Yeah. I, I would call him a friend. Yes. But the point is, like, just because he could spend a longer cycle uh writing more songs and putting 16 songs on an album like you don't necessarily want to hear that many songs in one sitting it's not as digestible it's not as re-listenable yeah now what happens to me in the process at least with these two records that i've been on to for four or five years now i think one for five years and the other one for four years parallel uh, both of them started with me being excited about the idea of an album and i just put everything i got in there it's about the length of a vinyl, but it's not all that good. It doesn't flow that well, so I keep writing, come up with better songs. And it's like, okay, yeah, this one is cool, but which of those songs that I initially had planned is kind of has this function? It should be removed. It shouldn't be on top of that. So it's, it's, it's also, of course, me limiting myself, but I do think that it's a good thing to have that physical, um, uh, what could you call it, um, fence? around it too it helps me limiting myself or at least it gives me a standard uh, as to what to limit myself around because obviously i got more than eight songs 
for a new record. I always, I mean, that's how it works. And uh, I used to release everything back in the day because it was so hard to let something go that I had spent time on that I've been working on. But that's something I'm, I no longer have any problem with whatsoever. I, uh, I like to remove stuff, frankly. Two, three weeks later, you couldn't imagine having that in. So like, let's say removing this track, if they did, they wouldn't imagine like, oh, I wish it was on the record. Like, they don't remember this song, I don't think. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I don't think so. And my preference would be, you know, less songs on an album, more frequent album releases. Yeah. And I know I'm asking for something that I would never get because mm. that's just not how a band like Iron Maiden or Judas Priest works. Now they're this big entity that they release an album only every five years and mm. they go on a massive tour where they have to hit every single country they can and dressed in between the shows too so it takes even longer right yeah of course of course and they have these big stage productions with these massive props and they use that as the money maker mm -hmm. more so than the album so i think we're getting these albums that have lots of songs because it's a long time until the next album comes out. The gap keeps widening more years in between albums. Props for bringing that up. It's something I never thought of. The idea of albums being longer also because of the album cycles being longer. It's a great point, George. I never thought of that. Uh, that could definitely have some truth in it. And uh, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm with you. As you know, I like short albums. Why not make short albums more often? We talked about it just the other week that... Uh, they used to sell records, so the shows were cheaper too. They're quite expensive these days. Uh, even if you convert, you know, money over time, value of money over time, they're quite expensive now because they don't sell albums. It's all like a completely different business. It's a different hustle. That's why merch prices are going up too. Oh yeah, fuck some t-shirts like fifty bucks. Concert profits are going down, so yep. t-shirt prices go up. Ah yeah yeah. It's, I mean, it's been about the t-shirts for a long time though. Like I remember in the early days when I got to know some bands that were semi-big, I guess at the time. Some of them are bigger now. Some of them are gone now. But I remember everyone said the same thing: we are t-shirt salesmen. That's what we do for money. <laughs> That's what we do for a living. We sell t-shirts. And you know, just to be you know, just to be crass, just to be honest about what it's actually about when it comes down to the digits. You know, the what do you call that uh, uh, balances? counts and balances dollars <laughs> yeah yeah let's just call it dollars when it comes down to the dollars uh, that's what yeah. it's about and that's why i've been doing the front of house sound the monitor sound some cash from playing guitar very minor as compared to just being part of the machine which has brought me a lot of money doing sound is quite profitable actually <laughs> it says that's the one in the room that actually gets paid it's a weird business george it's a really weird business and a weird time to get into it yeah, we all love it so much too, what comes out of it. No one wants to see it gone. Not even, I mean, you can go way more casual than we are as music fans. And they also don't want it gone. We all want it there, but it survives like uh, on the skin of its teeth, pretty much. Right. And uh, did you see all that Twitter hubbub last month about people complaining about the merch prices for Gojira? Yeah, I saw that, but I didn't engage. Yeah, right. Now... No, I didn't engage with it either because my opinion wouldn't have been very popular. I wish you I, did, though. I wish you did. <laughs> I mean, look, the, they're selling t-shirts for, I think it was like the U.S. equivalent of 50 bucks or something. Yeah. And people yeah. people were upset. Gojira fans, they must not be used to paying those prices. And I hate to tell you, but that's 
pretty standard for an arena band. Ghost, Priest, Alice Cooper, Metallica. They've been charging at least 50 bucks for their t-shirt for years now. And that's, that's the price you pay when a band gets bigger. Yeah, I mean, if you rewind just a couple of minutes, uh, you listener, you hear me say 50 bucks. And that was not about Gojira. That was just my go-to reference price for a concert uh, t-shirt. It's 50 bucks now. And it was, to be fair, quite expensive when I started seeing shows too. It was 25, but, you know, again, recalculate, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it was already like, oh, 25 for a t-shirt. Now kind of actually quite cheap. <laughs> But but then it felt like a lot too. I stopped buying merch very early on. I was like, I can't afford this shit. Okay, I want to see a lot of shows. I can't go and buy a t-shirt every single time. It's going to ruin me, basically. Because, I mean, I was a teenager. So it's expensive. That's the thing. Like, if if I'm going to a rock club, like the Gramercy Theater in New York City that holds a thousand people, and I'm seeing a band like Vader or Obituary, I'm probably paying like 25 to 30 for that t-shirt. But even back in 05, seeing Judas Priest, I, I think I paid like 45 bucks yeah. in the year 2005 money. Arena bands, they just are not as cheap to see as your local level bands. And people are having trouble grasping Gojira going from that lower level to nearly, or they're just about at the arena level now, depending on what country you're in. They got really big. I was a huge fan around from Mars to Sirius, but... I'm, I must say I haven't been super comfortable with their, how they've been growing. To me, it's felt a bit calculated, a bit like, you know, I, I'm never going to call a band sellouts because that's silly. That's a silly thing to say. So that's not what I'm saying. But I would say I'm not 100% comfortable with their growth. So I can get that. And I will also add that, you know, I love Priest a lot, but it's better to buy an obituary t-shirt or a Vader t-shirt. They need it more. I would say, and that's not about street cred or anything. That's simple economics. Like those bands need the help. Like a Firepower shirt, maybe you don't need it. It's a great album, though. That's one of those lengthened albums that actually works in the long form, as we've been, uh, especially been discovering that uh, February, because you did your uh, Firepower February on your show. Uh, what a good album it is. And 14 songs, normally I would say that's ludicrous. Like, don't do it. <laughs> but it actually kind of works on that record so there are cases you know where i guess uh stars aligned or something and even in this kind of record making climate you can make it work it's a good record a lot of shorter tracks too though i think that helps right you won't fit 14 maiden tracks on a single disc you won't even fit 14 maiden tracks on two discs no you won't like that'd be a six vinyl or something i don't know i don't want to i don't want to see that happen (laughs) but uh yeah that was well done by them and yeah also that's five years old now so the cycles are long. They are really, really long these days, and, and the business has changed. I think it was an interesting thing to touch on, and I, I guess we'll get back to it at some point on, on either show. Yeah, I, I certainly feel that for Priest, where you feel like any album could have been their last one because they've said they don't know when they're retiring. They went on that retirement tour, and they said, no, we changed our mind, Yep. and now they don't know. So and they are old. If, if they're going to... If any album could be the last one, I get that they want to give us a lot of songs on it. And the album before Firepower, Redeemer, that was long too. That was 13 tracks, 18 on whatever deluxe edition they released. So that's sort of their ethos at this point. It wasn't as successful, right? That one. Um, uh, I'm, no, I'm not very familiar no, with it. It, it was honest. not, but we're not here to talk about 
priest in death. No, we have a we have a different podcast for that. You got you have that, yeah. You have that, and I'll be on back on quite soon again. It's going to be fun uh, now with the, actually first time on then on the, on to be technical first time on the Judas Priest cast, yeah, on our network, which I fail to mention sometimes. Your first time potting with Hattie. Uh, yes, for me, yes, yeah, and uh, I, men- I fail to mention the network sometimes. Not that we have to; there are no rules. But uh, the Deep Dive Podcast Network, deepdivepodcastnetwork.com uh, is now a little bit better too. Like you got a feed there with uh, everything that comes out, and uh, that's uh, looking at that, you realize that whoa, there's quite a bit of output from 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 a little, a little thing that we do uh, around the world. Yeah, as a network, we're putting out content every single day. Multiple yeah. episodes a day, even yeah, I if me. you look at our network as a whole. I agree. <laughs> so should we get in on a bit of rotation before we close this off? Eric came back at just the right time. Yep. Eric, what's in your rotation, man? Uh, well, like I mentioned before, uh, this morning it's been a very there's a lot of bloodbath this morning. Um, uh, both the latest album and the was it Phantomless Mastery, as uh, we mentioned earlier. Uh, and otherwise, this is still pretty close to when we recorded the last step. So it's it's been Bloodbath and Weird Al. Weird Blood or Albath. There you go, Albath. <laughs> they can Albath in Weird Blood. Perfect. Yorch. Yeah, I got one for you. So I'm getting ready to go to the Hell's Heroes Fest down in Houston again this year. And it's going to be a lot of really good old school heavy metal acts along with a lot of the best of the new wave of traditional heavy metal going to see a few of my favorite bands on, you know, I'm a fanboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, night demon. I know they're big popular among maiden fans. They'll be there. And I've been checking out some of the other bands. I haven't heard. There's a really good one called riot city. And I've been listening to their shit quite a bit lately. That is it. Indeed. For this session. 
was delightful, as always. Thank you, George, for coming in and um, holding up the fort nicely here. <clears throat> this is a great show. This is my favorite Maiden podcast. So whatever you guys are doing, keep doing it. Thanks so much, George. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I had my breakfast. I'm in time for the dinner party tonight. The podcast is done. It's all good. I might even be able to skip over and see Dead Cosmonaut uh, after eating and then back to the dinner party. Very cool. I hope so. Yeah. Because you will wanted to go as well, but he didn't want to go alone. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he wrote to me too. And Eric's busy. I'm busy, unfortunately. But um, yes. So let us uh, let us sign off. All right. Well, from all of us to all of you, up the irons. Skull from the north. And keep defending the faith. What else was I going to say, you know? Maiden, how you say in it? But I said what I'd like to do is maybe we should, be really fun, if we could f- figure out a, a reason to go down to Gothenburg, we could visit the, the, the place. Even better, yeah. We should always go down to Gothenburg. Yeah. I've been there way too few times. Do you travel a lot uh, in uh, your general area, George? Well, I've been all over the U.S. So my wife and I, we travel and we love baseball and hmm. we want to see a home game at every stadium. So we're halfway there. We've seen 15 out of 30 of the baseball teams. So we've been to L.A., Tampa, Miami. Philly, Boston, Minneapolis. I'm probably leaving a few out. Uh, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and I'm probably still forgetting a few. But uh, yeah, we we definitely want to travel to every major city in the U.S. And pretty soon, we'll start working our way through Europe too. Cool. I would say that uh, I'm glad to have a, like a, a fellow domestic traveler. Then that I mean, I'm I've also traveled the world a lot, but I've been in every state of Sweden. They're not called states, but you know. There's about how many of them, Eric? 20 plus? Uh, I'm going to say yes and pretend I know. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I don't know why why I should put you on the spot in that regard, but yeah, Uh, about 20 ish. I've been in everyone but one, and that's the one, one of the more like standout ones is one of the islands. There's two island provinces. Two islands, yeah, yeah, yeah. Erland, I haven't been to, and it's not hard to access, so I guess it's just I kept it for for last for some reason. I gotta go soon. Anything there you really want to do? I mean, I can go to a place where nothing is going on, and I can still I can enjoy it anyway. When you when you go to those places, you are what's going on at that point. There you go. In some <laughs> instances, yes. In some instances, but I mean, okay, Erland, what does it have? It has something called Alvaret, which means the seriousness. Yes. And it's just a huge flat area. I want to go there. Sure. <laughs> it's a cool name. The seriousness. I just say in it. Biden, I just say in it.